So we are continuing our class on the attributes of God. Who remembers two weeks ago? Anybody remember two weeks ago? What, what did we talk about two weeks ago? Immutability. What is immutability? Unchanging. God never changes. The person that God is today is who he was a billion years ago. And why doesn't God change? What was the reason we said God never changes? He would be less than God. He's always perfect. Change assumes that there's a deficiency. I change because I have deficiencies. If God changes, that means he must have a deficiency. And if you say, well, God was perfect before the change, well, then what did he change to? He was already perfect. And if God was perfect after the change, that means he wasn't perfect before the change. And then we applied that and we said, God never changes, and that's good news because the God who promised to save you is the same God who is going to keep that promise, and he's never going to change, and his promises will never change. Today, we're going to look at another doctrine, and we're going to start talking about the infinity of God. Now, infinity actually encompasses a couple of different things, but today we're going to focus on infinity as it relates to time. Let's start with just a basic definition. What do we mean when we say infinity? The attribute of infinity says that God transcends all limitations of finite creatures. There are no limitations. You and I have limitations on our physical abilities, our, on our mental abilities, on the things we can and cannot do. We have all sorts of limitations. But none of those limitations apply to God. God is without any limitation. Infinity describes God in two basic ways. Okay, when we talk about the infinity of God, we're talking about two basic things. First, that God is exalted above the limitation of time and space. He is exalted above the limitation of time and space. When we talk about the infinity of God concerning time, we're talking about God being eternal. Time is not a limitation on God. Time, as we'll see later, is a limitation on you and I. I only have one hour this morning for this class. That's a limitation. When you're driving to work, you only have so much time to get to work. God does not have those limitations. When we apply infinity to space as it relates to God, infinity speaks of God being omnipresent. That he is not confined or limited by space. Now, we are only going to talk about one of these today. We'll talk about the other one next week. Okay, so that's, that's one way that we can talk about infinity, how it relates to time and space. The second way infinity applies to God is God is unlimited in his attributes. His attributes do not have limitation. They are infinite. Each and every one of his attributes is infinite. What's another way we can describe the infinite nature of God's attributes? When we say his attributes are infinite, what are we actually saying? I'm sorry? Unending? Okay. Forever? Perfect. They're, yeah, so unlimited is to say that they are perfect. They are perfect in every way. They, they are there and present in God to the fullest extent. There is no deficiency in any of his attributes. This is the idea of divine perfection, that there is no need for growth or development in any of God's attributes. Okay, so what does infinity not refer to? When we talk about the infinity of God, what are we not talking about? Well, first of all, we're not talking about an infinity of magnitude. And I know that doesn't make sense, but bear with me. Infinity does not refer to God being spread out. Let's say I had a blanket, and it was an infinite blanket, really big blanket, and I spread it out. One corner went that direction, one corner went that direction, one corner went that direction which means you have one part of the blanket over here, another part of the blanket over there, and another part of the blanket over there. Right? We're talking about size and division of the blanket. 
one example that actually works, because we have, we've never seen anything called an infinite blanket, one example that really works is looking at the universe. Anybody know what that is? That's our galaxy. It's the Milky Way. I want to talk about the size and the dimensions here for a moment, because this will help us with magnitude. Uh, let's start with something close. The United States, if I were to drive coast to coast, Virginia to California, about how far is that? About 3,000. It's 2,800 to 3,000 miles. Okay, let's go a little bit further. If I was going to get on a SpaceX rocket and I was going to fly to the moon, well, let's not do that yet. I got on a plane and I was going to fly around the world at the equator. How many miles is that? 24,000 miles. Okay, now let's go to the moon. I get on the SpaceX rocket and I want to go to the moon. How far is that? It's roughly 240,000 miles. So if you were to drive at 60 miles an hour, it would take you 240,000 days to get there. Or 240,000 hours, excuse me. All right, so that's pretty far away. Well, how far is the sun? Anyone want to venture a guess on how far the sun is? 23? 93. You got it. Yeah, it's like 91.5, but, I mean, what's a million here or there, right? <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's really good. I had to look it up, so that, well done. Okay, so the sun is 91.5 million or 93 million. Anybody can figure out how far that is? Can you grasp that concept, 93 million miles? It's a really long way, right? Farther than I want to walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to walk there. Okay. So how big is the galaxy? Just for a little context, our solar system is like down in the bottom left corner somewhere. It's one of those little dots. The galaxy is not measured in miles. If you want to go from end to end, it's not measured in miles. It's measured in light years. What is a light year? Okay. So it's the distance traveled by light in one year. Light travels roughly 186,000 miles per second. So one light year is equal to around 5.8 trillion miles. How many light years across is our galaxy? A million. You're a little high. But that's good. It's 100,000 light years. So 100,000 times 5.8 trillion, and you know about how many miles it is from end to end of our galaxy. Have we reached the point where your mind is just I can't comprehend these sizes. But that's, not only, that's just talking about our little galaxy. It's not even talking about, I'm going to fall over here. It's not even talking about the known universe, the observable universe. Each one of those dots is not one planet. Each one of those dots is one galaxy. And each one of those galaxies has roughly 100 billion stars like our sun. Some are bigger, some are smaller. Okay, so if you wanted to go, this isn't even a picture of the entire galaxy, but if you wanted to go from end to end of the, of the universe, the known observable universe, how far do you have to travel? Well, now the numbers get a little bit bigger. Again, we're still talking about light years, but you need to add some zeros. The observable universe is roughly... 93 billion light years. Multiply that by 5.8 trillion and you figure out how many miles across it is. You're a very little tiny speck somewhere in there. All right, well, that's the observable universe. That still doesn't get you to the entire universe because they believe there is still universe outside of what we can observe. So if you wanted to know the observable universe, it would be all the stuff in black. 
how far is that? Well, there's different estimates, but the one that I found that was from the most reputable source was this one. The entire universe is roughly 7 trillion light years across. So 7 trillion times 5.8 trillion, and you can figure out how many miles that is. That's a lot of zeros. Have you ever heard people say the universe is infinite? What they mean there is that the universe is so big that we really can't figure it out. The universe is at a size that we just cannot comprehend. We don't get it. I look at that number and it makes absolutely no sense to me. It's a seven with a bunch of zeros at the end of it. My mind cannot fathom how big that is. My mind shut down after we got to the moon. That is what we're talking about with magnitude. But this does not describe infinity. Because this is not limitless. There is an end to the universe. There is a point at which creation stops and God no longer created anything else. There is an end to the universe. And so regardless of our ability to understand what 7 trillion light years is, the universe is not infinite in the way that God is infinite. When we say that the universe is infinite, what we're really saying is we have a deficiency in our brain and we don't understand it. We're really talking about our inability to comprehend. And because we can't comprehend it, we say it's infinite. That's the infinite infinity of magnitude. But there's also the infinity of multitude. And this also is not speak this is also not the correct way to look at the infinity of God. An infinity of multitude deals with mathematics. It's talking about numbers. Numbers that are infinitely large or infinitesimally small. Um, there's this theory in physics. If two people are standing apart from each other and I cut half the distance, and then I cut half the distance, and cut half the distance, I can do that infinitely because that number will always half smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and you never actually get to zero because it just infinitely goes down. So that's on the small side. But you can also do this, you can say infinite in number as in a large quantity, for example. How many grains of sand are in this picture? Now let's just assume for a minute you were standing there and you were actually there. Could you count them all? I mean, even if you wanted to, even if you had that kind of time, you can't count that number of grains. And because you're unable to count it, you say that it is infinite. Are there an infinite number of grains of sand? Is there an unlimited number of grains of sand in this picture? There's a finite number of grains. At some point, you're going to reach the end. If you stick with it and count long enough, eventually you'll, you'll get to the number. But we say it's unlimited simply because we cannot comprehend the number and we cannot measure the number. Everybody tracking with me so far? Everybody with me? All right. When we talk about infinity of God, we're not talking about just he's beyond our ability to comprehend. God is not an infinity of multitude, he's a simple unity. He's not made up of parts. These different ways of looking at infinity do not describe God. God's infinity is an infinity of essence. It's an infinity of essence. Herman Bavinck, God is infinite in his essence, absolute, perfect, limitless in the intensive, qualitative, positive sense. When we talk about an infinity of multitude, the grains of sand, what we're really saying is what we cannot do. We can't come and give you the number. When we talk about an infinity of multitude, when we talk about the infinity of space, we're just saying that what we can't comprehend, 
but it says nothing about what space actually it is. The infinity of God describes his nature. It is saying something positive about him. It's describing his essence. He says here he's absolute perfect. It cannot be improved upon. He says it's limitless in the intensive. Every single one of his attributes exists to the fullest extent possible. There is no potential for growth or improvement in any of them. That's why he says they're perfect. That's the infinity he's talking about. The divine being in his essence is free of all limitation. I have a whole bunch of limitations. There's a whole bunch of things I cannot do. You have a whole bunch of limitations. There's a whole bunch of things you cannot do. None of your attributes are infinite. None of my attributes are infinite. Because all of them have some level of imperfection to them. Gods are infinite in that none of them have any imperfection or any deficiency. Let's narrow our understanding of infinity a little bit more. When we talk about infinity, God's, it's referring to God's perfect transcendence of all limitations of time and space. That's one, what we're going to be working with. God transcends all limitations of time and space, and today we're going to look almost exclu- we're going to look exclusively at that first one. We're going to consider infinity of time. This is a mind bender. This, yeah, okay. So. When we talk about infinity and we apply it to time, infinity here describes God's eternality. That is to say, when we say that God has an infinity of time, that God has no beginning and he has no end. He has just always been. But even when we say that, we can get that wrong. Because if we say that God has no beginning and end, what we oftentimes think is, well, there's a timeline, and you just take the two ends of the timeline, and you push them out to both sides as far as they can go. And they just keep running. That's not the infinity we're describing here. And we'll see that in a minute. So, where does it say in the Bible that God has no beginning and no end? Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is Moses writing. And he describes God as being from everlasting to everlasting. He says that God existed before the mountains. We often think of mountains as being just, they've always just been here. God was existing before those. It says he gave birth to the world. God being the creator is evidence that he is eternal because he existed before anything else. And so if he existed before all of creation, he must be eternal. So Moses spends the first two verses talking about God. The next two verses, he talks about you and I. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. God was described in the first one. From everlasting to everlasting. In these verses, it's describing us. You're like grass. You sprout, and then by the evening, you're gone. Your life is a vapor. Now, he uses a couple of things. He says, first, you return to dust. And then he says, your life is like a watch in the night. Now, when you talk to me about watches, I don't think of wristwatches. A watch in the night to me is what I used to do in the Navy. There's four-hour watches in the Navy because, you know, the ship always has stuff to be done. And throughout the night, if it was your day, you would stand a watch. 
And it's a four-hour shift where you have a job to do for that four hours. And while you're standing the watch, it's no fun. Because, you know, midnight to 4 a.m. is not a fun watch. Nobody wants that one. And it seems to drag on and on and on and on. But you know what's interesting? If I wasn't the one standing at the midnight watch, that watch seemed to go by real fast. I slept through it. It went by quick. Here he's not talking about standing a watch in the military sense. In the ancient times, they divided up the evening hours into three to four hour segments. They called them watches. And he's saying they pass by quickly. You know why they pass by quickly? Because you went to sleep. You go to bed at night, and the next morning comes, it's eight hours later, and it seems like it went by in just a moment. And he says that night watch is your life. Here one moment, gone the next. This does not describe God. God is not here one moment, gone the next. That's a reality of the creature. Isaiah, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. Again, we have this description of God as being everlasting. You might say everlasting, you can use the word eternal. He lives forever. He has always lived. He has always existed. There was never a time that God did not exist. Isaiah 57, for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever. You can translate that term a little bit differently. Who dwells in eternity. The New Testament applies this idea of being everlasting, of being eternal. This attribute of God, it applies it to Jesus. And I'm just going to nail some of these pretty quick. Romans 1.23, the immortal God. Romans 1.26, the eternal God. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, only sovereign, the king of kings, the lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality. Revelation 1, 4 says, from him who is and who was and is to come. He is now, he was, and he's the one that will be coming. Past, present, and future. Revelation 1, 8, just a few verses later, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's not saying, I am the Alpha today and tomorrow I'll be the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the very last letter. He's saying he is both of them and he's both of them simultaneously. He is the first and he is the last. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. So God is eternal. He has always been. But this kind of presents a problem for us. Because what this verse says is that God experiences time in a way that's different than you and I. When God experiences time, he doesn't experience it the same way you and I do. For God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. That's not my experience. So what does it mean if this is eternity, if this is God as being eternal, and this is how the Bible describes God as being eternal, what does that mean? How do we understand this passage? What does he mean by God is eternal? Well, it could mean, or maybe it means, God is in time, but does not have a beginning or end. Or, God is outside of time altogether, unrestricted by the boundaries of time. Okay, Again, we're asking, what does it mean to be eternal? When it says God is eternal, what does that mean? The first option is what we kind of mentioned earlier. God is eternal in the sense that he is in time, and you just push the two ends of 
the timeline out as far as they go. But what's the key that we have to answer here? If we want to figure out which one is true, what do we need to know first? Yeah, we need to know something about time, don't we? If we want to understand God's eternality, we need to understand what it means for God to be in time, which means we need to know what time is. Okay, so what is time? It's a measurement, it's infinity, it's a part of creation, it's a boundary. Augustine asked this question. Actually, someone asked this of Augustine. What then is time? And Augustine recognized something about human nature. There are things that we know about, but for some reason we just can't seem to explain. And he says, well, if someone asked me, well, if no one asked me, I know. I know what time is until you come and ask me. If I wish to explain to him who asked, I don't have a clue because I simply have trouble explaining it. But he doesn't leave us hanging. He says, Nevertheless, I confidently affirm that I know that if nothing passed away, there would not be past time. And if nothing were coming, there would not be future time. And if nothing were, there would not be present time. You guys have already, it's already been said, time is a reality in creation. Time is connected to creation. It's connected to change. Creation is always changing. Time passes. We learned two weeks ago on, on immutability. As time passes, what happens? Everyone in the room changes. Uh, I've got positive news for everyone. You're older right now than you were when we started the class. Right? Time is passing. We are all changing constantly. Augustine recognized that time and a changing creation are inextricably linked. They go together. But time is not some kind of separate substance. It's not like the sand we looked at that you can pour it into a jar. It's not something that you can hold on to. It's not something that I can amass a quantity of it. Time is a mode of existence, and we'll, I'll explain what that means in a minute. Just file that away. But it comes with creation. God created, and when God created, he created time. Without creation, there would be no time. And some people say, okay, well, if it's not a substance, if it's not a real thing, then it must be just a subjective category of my mind. It's just like a figment of my imagination. Because it's not a real thing, so I, I can't really call it something. I have to just say it's a figment of my imagination. And the second I stop thinking about it, the second I stop measuring it, time no longer exists. But time doesn't merely exist because we can compute or calculate it. It's not a byproduct of your or my thoughts. It's a byproduct of God's creative acts. Okay, so that's what time is not. What is time? When we talk about time, we distinguish between two categories of time. Theology, Michael likes to say this all the time, theology is all about definitions and categories. The first one, these sound complicated, they're actually really easy. Extrinsic. Extrinsic time is what we use to measure motion what we use to measure motion. Okay, so the 24-hour clock. How do we know if the clock is right? Ultimately, how do we know the clock is right? The sun. The 24-hour clock measures the, revolution, the, the rotation of the earth on its axis. Okay? And based on that and based on the sun, we can then calculate a year time it takes to travel around the sun and that'll give us our calendar um the jews what is their calendar based on the moon 
So both of these are tracking motion, are they not? They're tracking the motion of celestial bodies. Extrinsic time is derived from the motion of heavenly bodies. Extrinsic time is what you use every day. Class starts at 9. Class will end at 10. Service starts at 10.30. That's extrinsic time. It's how we measure the movement of these bodies. This form of time will cease at one day. Book of Revelation says, we won't need the sun in eternity. We won't need the moon. This form of time will cease. So that's extrinsic time. And then we have intrinsic. Intrinsic time refers to the creature's existence who has a past, present, and future that can be measured and counted. Here's what this is saying. Intrinsic time refers to your existence. It is the measure of your existence. It is the measure of how long creation has existed. When we talk about the age of the earth, what are we talking about? We're talking about how long has the earth existed. If we were to talk about the age of the universe, what are we talking about? How long has the universe existed? All of us can be measured. I'm 38. You're whatever age you are. Time is used to measure our existence. But the fact that you can measure your existence means you are finite. The fact that you can measure how many years you have been here means you are finite. It means there is something greater than you that is able to measure you. I can take this little clicker and put it up to a ruler and measure its length. I can take a ruler, put it up to a yardstick, and measure the length of the ruler. I can take a tape measure and measure the length of the yardstick. You see how I keep going to one greater? The fact that it can be measured means it must be finite. The fact that your existence can be measured means you must be finite. You have a start and an end. So time can be measured, and it measures. Intrinsic time is the mode of existence, and it measures the creature's existence. That's what we mean by it's a mode of existence. It's measuring how long you've been here, how long you have existed. When we talk about intrinsic time, we're saying a couple of things. Intrinsic time refers to motion. We talk about motion of heavenly bodies. It refers to change. Because intrinsic time only deals with finite creatures, all finite creatures change constantly. Intrinsic time is a measure of how much you change. When we say, I'm 38, you know quite a bit about me. You know things that I'm not. You know I'm not that big. Intrinsic time refers to things that can be measured. It refers to things that are finite, that are limited, that which can be numbered. It refers to created beings. Everybody with me? Anyone lost so far? Everybody with me? Okay. So let's go back to our question about eternality. When we talk about eternality, does eternality mean that God is in time but does not have a beginning or an end? If we answer it with the first question, if we answer the first one, we say that God is eternal in the sense that he is in time, but he does not have beginning or end, we have some problems. Here's the first one. If God is in time, then he is restricted by a succession of moments. You and I are restricted by a continual succession of moments. Okay, so 
last Monday, let's just imagine you got up, you had breakfast at 7 a.m., you got dressed. 7.30 a.m., you were in the car thinking, I'm going to be on time for work. But as you're driving to work, you know, those construction crews who are really good at slowing down traffic, they were doing well that day, and they slowed down traffic wonderfully. And then you got past that, and there was a major accident that shut down all the lanes of the highway, and they diverted everybody, and you got to go through one of those fabulous traffic lights. And now it's 8.15, you're 15 minutes late for work, and you're still stuck in traffic. Ever been there before? Have you ever looked at the clock and said, man, I wish that thing had a pause button? I wish I could just press pause. It'll stay 8.15. I'll get through the traffic. I'll get to work, and I'll only be 15 minutes late. When I get to work, I can unpause time, and we're good to go. You ever wanted to do that? Yeah, me too. Or you're sitting in a really, really boring class about some guy going on about intrinsic and extrinsic time, and you're like, good grief, can we just fast forward through this and get to the end? <laughs> and you're hoping you can just get through it and you can just pass over some time so I don't have to go through this. I was at the county tax office this weekend on Friday. That was one of those moments I really wanted a fast forward button as I waited in line for an hour and a half. But you can't do that, can you? There is no pause button. There is no fast-forward button. You and I are required to experience every moment. You might experience that moment sleeping, so it'll seem like it goes faster, but you're still required to experience it. You're still required to go through that moment. 10 o'clock is going to come, and if you are still alive at 10 o'clock, you are going to have to experience every moment of that hour. It is a limitation. You cannot operate outside the bounds of a succession of moments. You must experience them. And this is how we think of time. When we think about time, this is what we think of. We think of that succession of moments. But that does not apply to God. It describes the creature. God is not constrained by a succession of moments. He's not limited in that way. You and I are. If God is in time, if we say that eternality means God is in time, but he has no beginning and end, what we're saying is that God is limited and constrained to a succession of moments, that he must endure each moment just like you and I. And he has to wait for the future to come before he can act in it. Is that the God you want to worship? But if he is constrained... If he has limitations, that means he has a deficiency. And if God has a deficiency, what does that mean about him? He's not God. He's not immutable. He's not perfect. Because now he is constrained. He's no longer a pure being. He is now becoming. He is now just like his creation. Okay? Okay? If God is eternal, but he is in time, here's another implication. He experiences a succession of moments, and therefore he cannot be immeasurable. Infinity means he is beyond the ability to measure. But if he is constrained by time, he can be measured. We, cannot be, we can be measured. We talked about that earlier with age. You can also measure people in other ways. Have you ever heard this? That person doesn't live up to my standard. Have you ever heard that? If you're in time, you can be measured. But God is eternal. He is infinite. Things that are limited can be measured. God is beyond limitation, which means he cannot be measured. So God cannot be in time. When we go back to our two possibilities, what does it mean to be eternal? We have to answer number two. 
that God is outside of time altogether. Unrestricted, unlimited by time. He does not experience that daily succession of moments. Okay, this is just kind of a summary here. Before God created, there was no time. Time has a succession of moments, and because there was no time before creation, there was no succession of moments. When God created a changing universe, he created time. Time is the result of creation, which means God existed before there was time. God is fixed, unmoving, unchangeable, always existing. You could say eternity, time measures change, time measures a creature's existence. Eternity, if you want to use the word, eternity measures permanent existence. It's the way we describe what exists permanently, since we have no actual way to measure it. Does that make sense? So, eternality. There are three characteristics, and we've already said them all. First characteristic, no beginning. And no end. It's not that God is on the timeline and you just push those ends all the way out. Why does that not work? It doesn't work because that timeline is still made up of a succession of moments. And that would be a limitation on God. So to be eternal, he also has to not experience a succession of moments. Okay? Completely set apart from the limitations of time. Okay, I get, I'm got, I've got blank stares here. Any questions? Yes? I think you were looking at my notes because that's coming up later. Exodus, no, that's good. She, she brought up Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. And that is talking about God always existing just as he is. So, really good. Any other questions? Yes. He never slumbers, yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about eternality. When we say that God is eternal, when we say he's everlasting, what we're saying is he's unrestricted by, by time. This is very review-y. So if God doesn't experience a succession of moments, if he's not on the timeline, the question then becomes, well, then how does God experience time? How does he perceive time? If he doesn't experience it the way we do, with a beginning, an end, and a succession of moments, then what does he do? How does he interact with time? And the answer to that is this. God sees all time as one eternal present. Time began at creation and it will keep going. God sees all of it at once. Separate from it, and he views all of it together as one eternal present. Let's look again. Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes. Okay, if you were to ask me 
Frank, what shirt did you wear last Monday? I might be able to come up with the right answer. If you were to ask me what I had for lunch on January 2nd, yeah, I'm not going to be able to answer that question. It's too far back. I can't remember. Those details are fuzzy. I don't understand that those details. And if you go back any further than that, it's only going to get worse. Because bigger details are going to start getting lost because I'm going to lose those memories. When Moses here says that for a thousand years is like yesterday, he's not talking about a literal thousand years. This is a figurative term. He's just talking about a really long time. You might say it this way, for God, for all of history in your sight is like yesterday. He's just referring to a very long time. And he's saying that God sees all of history, he sees all of time perfectly, vividly, 1080p. I mean, it's perfect vision, right? 2 Peter 3.8, we looked at this earlier. But do not, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Again, it's a figurative expression. One day, from God's perspective, seems to last for a thousand years. It's not saying that God is getting bored, but he has the same view of that one day continually. And you pick any day throughout history, he has a view of that one day. It is always experienced. It is always before his eyes. It's always before his, his mind. In God's perspective, a thousand days or a thousand years is like one day. That is to say, if you were to ask me what I did yesterday, I could tell you pretty clearly what I did yesterday. If you ask God what has happened over the past 1,000 years, he has a perfect, clear vision of the last 1,000 years and every little detail in that 1,000 years. And he sees all of it continually and perfectly. Wayne Grudem made this little chart. It's helpful. It's a little fuzzy, but there's God. There's the timeline. Time starts here at creation. And God has a continual view, not only from creation, all the way through the life of Christ, the book was published in 1994, but you can put 2021 there. All the way through final judgment and all the way through to eternity future. He has a perfect view of all of it. He sees all of it continually, perfectly, presently. Does that make sense? A little hard to imagine, but that's how he sees it. I think you're reading my notes. I've got two people stealing my notes. All right. <laughs> Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done. God is above time. He is distinct from time. He sees all time as one eternal present reality. And because of that, he knows precisely what will happen tomorrow. He sees it as vividly as he sees today. And because God sees all of time all at once, he knows precisely what will happen a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years, a billion years, and all into eternity. He sees all of it perfectly. And you go all the way back to creation, and he sees every moment of every day perfectly, and he sees it all right now in one continuous whole. So, God is apart from time. He's distinct. He's separate from time. He's not in that succession of moments. So that means God doesn't act in time, right? No, not really. I'm going to put all these up at the same time here. Um, Acts 17.30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. There was a time when God acted in time, 
and he overlooked sins. But by the time you get to Acts 17, now God is acting in time and he's calling all men to repent. Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth the son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the time was right, when God said this is the right time, he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for the sins of his people. God acted in time. He is distinct from time, he is separate from time, but he still acts in time. Acts 17.31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world, there will come a time in the future that God will act again, and he will judge the world, and that is him acting in time. So yes, God is separate and distinct from time, and yes, God still acts in time. Let's just review eternity real quick when we talk about the infinity of God with relate, as it relates to time. God is eternal. He has no beginning, no end. He sees all of history as one vivid whole presently and continually. God is distinct from time, and yet he still acts in time to accomplish his will. Make sense? Okay. All right. But, you know, I was reading my Bible the other day, and I've read at the end of Revelation that there's going to be an eternal state. So you and I are going to be in eternity. So if I'm going to be eternal, does that mean I'm no longer going to experience time in the eternal state? Will time just stop and I'll no longer experience that succession of moments? Will there be time in the eternal state? The answer is yes. Uh, as a finite creature, you will always experience the succession of moments. You will never be eternal in the same sense that God is eternal, where he is outside of time. And we can see this in, the, in Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne. Notice at one point, the, the elders are sitting in their thrones. The next moment, what are they doing? They're bowing down. This is a succession of moments. One moment they had a crown, the next moment they cast it before the throne. Again, another succession of moments. This is happening in heaven, which is an eternal place, but you still have a succession of moments. Revelation 21, 24. It's really small print here. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, walking traveling, motion. Time measures motion. Revelation 22, 2. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And there you have actually a, a measure of time. Every month, the trees in the right months will bear fruit. And again, bearing is something that happens over a succession of moments. 22.5, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Yes, you will experience a succession of moments in eternity, but that eternity will never end. When you enter into his presence, when you go into the eternal state, it truly will be eternal. And that timeline really will push out as far and just keep on going. It never ends. Okay, with a few minutes we have remaining, let's talk about some implications of God's eternality. And I want to look at this from the perspective of the unbeliever. God is eternal, and he sees all time perfectly. He sees every event throughout history, and he sees it perfectly and continually. That should be a terrifying thought to every unbeliever. If you don't know Christ, that should terrify you. Because what that says is God will never forget your sin. God will never forget what you did. You may forget it. It may be a distant memory in your mind. It may be a memory that you forgot. But God never forgot it. Because it is continually before him. He sees the sin of your past as though you did it today. Now the unbeliever might say, well, if God wasn't eternal, I would have some hope. 
If God wasn't eternal, if God wasn't infinite, then maybe at some point his wrath would relent. Maybe at some point I would be able to escape as it fades away from his memory, as it passes from his view, as it gets lost in that succession of moments. But his wrath will not. It's eternal. It's everlasting. Just as he is. Every one of his attributes is eternal. His wrath, I, this, this is a typo, his wrath makes eternity painful and dreadful. The idea of going and experiencing his wrath it should be terrifying. But what makes it worse his eternality makes it perpetual. There will never be an escape. Once you're there, you're there for good. Okay, that's not the good news. Let's talk about for the believer. You and I deserve his wrath. We all deserve it. But you have a high priest. In Hebrews 7... Jesus is likened to Melchizedek. Melchizedek, it says, doesn't have a father or a mother. He doesn't have a genealogy. Hebrews 7, verse 3. This likely means that we just don't know his father and mother, and they do that for a specific reason. So he could be made like the Son of God. So in that sense, he has no beginning. He has no end. He has no genealogy. And therefore, Melchizedek has an eternal priesthood, a priest perpetually. And he uses this to describe Jesus Christ, an eternal, unending priesthood. This was not true of the Levitical priest. Levitical priests died. They eventually stopped being priests. They could no longer do their work. Hebrews seven twenty three. the former priest, Levitical, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Because Jesus is God, because he is eternal, because he is without beginning or end, he can do the work of a priest perpetually for all of eternity. What's the implication of that? Therefore, he is able to also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. He's able to save forever. The work that he started, he finishes, he completes. There will never be a day where Christ is not interceding, that he will weary out or fade away or die off. He has an eternal priesthood. Hebrews 10, 14 got some verses. You have an eternal source of joy. The world tells you if you want to find joy, look to the world. Find materials, possessions, wealth, pleasure. That's how you find joy. And accumulate as much of that as you can. The problem here is all of those things are fleeting. They're all finite and temporal. God does not promise fleeting and temporal joy. He promises eternal joy. So here's the question. How does God give eternal joy? Well, God doesn't offer you materials. He doesn't offer you things that pass away, finite things. God offers you the source of true joy. He offers you himself, the eternal one, the infant one, the one that you will spend all of eternity trying to come to know better that you will spend all of eternity enjoying and loving. And some people might say, well, won't that get old? Won't I get bored? If I spend all my time doing one thing here on earth, I get bored with it. No, you won't get bored. God is infinite. And you can spend your life, you can spend eternity searching after God, and you will find infinite joy in him. I'll end with a quote from Stephen Charnock. Happiness cannot perish as long as God lives. He is the first and the last, the first of all delights, nothing before him, the last of all pleasures, nothing beyond him.
You have an eternal God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the, sur- the source of perfect joy. And you can enjoy him for all of eternity, and it will never stop. It will never cease. Okay, we are out of time. If you have questions, feel free to come and see me afterwards. I'll be happy to answer your questions, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for today. Uh, We thank you for this opportunity to come together as a church, as a body of believers, to worship you, to pray to you, to praise you, to hear from your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself, even though you are so far beyond our ability to understand we do ask that you would help us to understand these things, that this would not just be knowledge in our head, but that it would drive us to deeper and higher worship. And we ask this in Christ's name.